This morning, I just want to take a moment to speak to those of you who are here today who have made a decision at some point in your life to put your faith and your trust in Christ, but you haven't made a decision yet to take the next step and be baptized. You might think, why do I need to go through that process, Dave? Why do I need to stamp in front of people and go underwater? I get that. Christ calls each one of us to make that decision as an act of trust. And as we do that, it displays our faith and it cements in our own hearts that we have made a decision to put our trust in Christ. Because it's one thing to think it in our own heads, but it's another thing when we stand up before everyone else and say, I've made this decision in my own life. I don't have all the answers, but I've made this decision. And I want you to celebrate with me. And when we make that decision... That, more than anything else, we do at Grace here. More than anything else, we celebrate that. Because that is huge in a person's life. So if you haven't made that decision yet to be baptized, but maybe you're considering it, I just want to encourage you to, to grab me in the breezeway, call me this week, let's talk about that. And see if maybe now's the time that you would want to do that as we are getting ready to do our baptisms again here pretty soon. Over the last few weeks, we've been in a series called God's Bumper Stickers, where we've been considering how God sees us and how He wants us to see ourselves. Each week, I've shared with you a few bumper stickers that I have found along the way. Um, And some of you have really liked one in particular that I showed you a couple of weeks ago that nicely encouraged people to not ride your bumper. Do you remember this one? That's a nice Christian way of telling people to back off, isn't it? Well, there was another one that I had found. I actually went on Amazon to see which one is the most popular bumper sticker that sold. And this particular one is actually so popular that it's like in five or six of the top ten slots. It sold like crazy on Amazon. Student driver, stay back. So if you're looking for another option, that that one might work also. Now, these approaches I'm going to share with you, these haven't worked as well, unfortunately. Look at these. I break for tailgaters. Apparently, that wasn't the right approach. How about this one? My driving scares me too. (laughs) Well, I can see why, can't you? And this one. This is my actual all-time favorite of all these that I have seen so far. Do you follow Jesus this close? I guess he does. (laughs) So just as we display some of the things that we value on our car bumpers, so this series is intended in a light-hearted way For us to think about this rhetorical question, if God were driving a car, what would be on his bumper sticker? And we've seen through the Bible, which in a way is his bumper sticker, that he values us. He values you and me. And we've learned the the things that he values and that he uses in our lives through this series. In week one, we learned that God has chosen us. Remember? And that... Um, he's, what that means and what that doesn't mean. We, what it means is we don't have to do anything for God to value us any more than He already does. And he's actually, He actually chose us even before He made us. In week two, we saw that God blesses us constantly. Right? Sometimes in ways that are obvious and sometimes in ways we totally don't expect and we can miss if we're not paying attention. And last week, we learned a little bit about how God uses brokenness in some of our most difficult circumstances in life to perfect us. And today, we're going to see why. 
Because what God ultimately values in his children is how we imitate him and give our lives to others in love. You know, in life, we give ourselves to many things, don't we? Think about it. The more we give ourselves of ourselves to those things, the more our hearts become attached to them. And we mistakenly can start to find our value and our identity in those things. We can, for example, we can put our value and our identity in what we do, in our career path, our accomplishments, how we are, how we are um, respected in our field of work, or how good we are at whatever we consider ourselves to be the best at in this life. We can put our value and our identity in what we have, how much money we bring home, how much stuff we have, how many relationships we have, how many friends, how many kids even we have. We can even put our identity and our value in how other people see us. Have you ever done that? By thinking, you know, but think about this. What happens in those moments when we do that and people disapprove of us or they don't like us? If I start finding my identity or my value in those things, I naturally start to react in inappropriate ways. I do. If I see my value in what I do, I'm in a habit of always trying to do more to make me feel good about myself. If I find my my identity in what I have, then I'm constantly driven to get more, more, more out of life, and I'll never be satisfied. And when I lose what I have, I can sink into a depression. If I find my value in what people say of me, I will keep trying over and over again to be a people pleaser so that people won't be upset or be disappointed in me. Henry Nowen, who was a, a Christian minister, and he spoke out a lot about this topic in life. I've shared several of his thoughts with you just in this particular series. Um, he said this in his book called Spiritual Direction. He said, what I want to say to you is that this whole zigzag approach that I just described to you is wrong. He says, I am not what I do, and you are not what you do, or what others say about you, or what you possess. And then he said, my only desire is to make these words reverberate in every corner of your being. You are the beloved. And then he says this. He says, it certainly is not easy to hear that voice in a world filled with the voices that shout, you're no good, you're ugly, you're worthless, you're despicable. You're nobody unless you can demonstrate the opposite. These negative voices are so loud and so persistent that it's easy to believe them. Isn't that true? That, he says, is the trap of self-rejection. It's the trap of being a fugitive hiding from your truest identity. And that identity is... You are the beloved child of God. Now, through this series, we've laughed a bit about some of the crazy things that we've seen people put on their bumpers. But what isn't funny are some of the labels that we put on ourselves, even without realizing it. 
God showed me a year ago in my own life how I had been doing that. Those labels had led me to become fearful and insecure. In the past year, as painful as it has been, God has been pouring them out to me and just uprooting them out of my life. Day after day after day. So I want to ask you this morning as we're starting, what labels have you put on yourself? If I were to ask you this morning, who are you? What would you say? How would you respond? Would you respond by telling me what you do? Like we typically do when we meet people on the street? Would you respond by telling me what you have? All the things that you're proud of? How much of it is based on other people's opinions of you? Listen. God says that you are his child. That is your real identity. Embracing that identity is the only one that won't lead you or pull you into self-destructive patterns and behaviors in this life. So what does it mean to be a child of God? It means that you are chosen. It means that you are blessed. It means at times that you are broken with the ultimate goal that you are given to others through how you love others. Think about this. We are chosen so that we can be blessed. We are blessed so that at times we can be broken. And as we're going to see today, we are broken so that ultimately we can be given and we can reflect God's incredible love to the people who are around us that we naturally gravitate toward and even those that we don't. Let's look today at Ephesians chapter 5 for just a few moments. This letter that we're going to be looking at in Ephesians, this letter of Ephesians, was written to a church in a city 2,000 years ago, this city in Greece called Ephesus. And ultimately, this letter was written for us too to help us to see God's grand vision for all of us. And after warning us about um, the, our old selfish, sinful behaviors, they're telling us, to, it, it, Paul tells us to, to, to throw off our old way of life. And in Ephesians, he tells us to truly live as God's beloved children. And here is, what, here is what Ephesians says in just the first two verses. This is all I want us to look at today. It's Ephesians 5 in these first two verses. Look at this. Look at these words closely. Imitate God since you are the children he loves. Live in love as Christ also loved us. He gave his life for us as an offering and sacrifice, a soothing aroma for God. So what can we learn about being given? If this is our ultimate identity as God's beloved children, how do we do that? What does it look like to be given? Well, let me just share with you a few things this morning. Number one, we see here, God is a giver. He sets the example, doesn't he? I mean, look at verse 2 there at the end. It says it very plainly. And we see this throughout the Bible. In the beginning, God gave us life as humans. And he gave us the perfect surroundings to live in and to be in relationship with him in the garden. And we destroyed all of that through sin. But God found a way around it. 
restoring our relationship with him and promising to give us back those perfect surroundings in heaven when this life here on earth is over. That's just the way God is. God is love, therefore God is a giver. And that will be true every single day of your life. Just like a parent with a child, God models for us a life of love. And that a life of love is a life that gives to others. That considers others above ourselves. He sets the example for us. And takes great delight in giving it to us. Let me share with you just one verse here in Luke chapter 12. I love how Jesus words this. It says, So don't be afraid, little flock. For it gives your father great happiness to give you the whole kingdom at the end of ephesians 5 verse 2 it says that the most meaningful way that god is giving to us is by giving of himself as he demonstrated to us on the cross right john three sixteen is the beautiful example of that isn't it god so loved the world that he he gave he gave everything for you. Which leads us back to the top of Ephesians chapter 5. God wants us to imitate him. Look at verse 1. Imitate God since you are the children that he loves. When you were little, let me ask you something. When you were little, did you ever have a little brother or a sister that just or someone in your life that just copied and imitated everything that you did? Do you, do you remember anyone who acted like that in your life? Can you think of someone? How, how did you feel about that when that was going on? You were probably a little ticked off and annoyed by it, weren't you? I know I, I had a little brother and he did that sometimes to me. And I think he was doing it just to get on my nerves. And it worked pretty well, right? Or, or maybe, maybe you've had someone who has copied or imitated you in some ways as you've been older. Maybe someone who's watched you from a distance. Or maybe as a young parent, you've seen a child mimic or copy you because he or she loves or admires you so much. One of the places I have loved watching this in action is with a little boy at Grace here called Colton. Colton was adopted by Katie, who God gave this tremendous heart To love him. And she also adopted his little brother at birth. But Colton, I have to tell you, Colton quickly came, went from being a mama's boy to being a grandpa's boy. Right away, he was wanting to wear grandpa's glasses, wear his boots, wear his hat, and not just wear them, but to wear them exactly like puppy does. That's grandpa, by the way, puppy. He wanted to do whatever puppy did. And he wanted to go wherever puppy went. He wants to call puppy every afternoon after he gets out of daycare. And he wants to FaceTime him before he goes to bed at night. And listen to this. If puppy tells Colton no about anything, then any time Colton sees anyone else doing that behavior, Colton is very quick to say, oh, oh, puppy says no. I love that. God, <laughs> Grandpa Horace has to be very careful that he, what he says okay to around Colton. Because if Mommy says no, he'll tell Mom, oh, oh, it's okay, Mommy. Puppy says it's okay. <laughs> Isn't that sweet? 
And God, your heavenly Father, says to you today, listen to this, I want you to do that with me. I want you to act like Colton. We don't just see this in one verse in the Bible in Ephesians 5. We see it everywhere throughout Scripture. God's asking us to copy Him, to imitate Him. No joke, in Leviticus chapter 19, in just one chapter alone, we see that God tells His people to copy Him at least 14 times. As He says, be holy, just like I am holy. Imitate me, He says. Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus tells us to love our enemies and thereby act like our Father in heaven. He even tells us in that passage, be perfect just like your heavenly Father is perfect. To imitate his perfection. How well are you guys doing with that one? Right? It's impossible, right? So why ask that of us? Because God wants us to look just like him. And how do we do that best? Let me tell you. This is our last point today. The best way we can imitate him is by giving of ourselves in love. There is no better way that you look like Christ than when you do that before others. Look at it. The very beginning of verse 2, it says it. Live in love. Don't just do it every now and then when you feel really easy, it feels really easy to do. It says live there. Just as Christ has also loved us. Look at how the, the message paraphrase words this. It says, watch what God does and then you do it. Like children who learn proper behavior from their parents. Mostly it says what God does is love you. That's his number one job in his mind. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us but to give everything of himself to us. And then God boldly says to us, love like that. Jesus says the same in John chapter 13. It says, love each other in the same way that I have loved you. Over and over again we see this played out in Scripture. If you keep reading, and we were at the beginning of chapter 5 this morning, if you were to keep reading down through the end of chapter 5, you'll notice what follows is a list of relationships familiar to the people at that time. Relationships like husbands and wives, parents and children, slaves and their masters. And these lists are known as household codes. In the Roman Empire, you find in historical writings all these places where these household codes were written. Like we see here in Ephesians 5. There are versions of them all over the place in the Roman Empire. But what sets Paul's household code apart from all the others that they were familiar with that in that day was how he instructed them how to wield the power that they had been given. Rather than dominating others, Paul said, as the Romans did, Christians with power are to imitate God by sacrificially loving those under their care. Just like 
Christ, who gave himself up, it says in verse 2. And in verse 25, we are to also give ourselves up for others. He's actually calling us to a fundamentally different posture in life. That of imitating Christ. Following his example, we're to literally give our lives away for others. Not in some grand heroic way necessarily, but day after day in consistent acts of sacrificial love. There was this theologian who wrote something a few years ago, and uh, I thought I'd share this with you. Um, His name is Arthur McGill. He says, to love other people in small but tangible ways over a lifetime is a way of dying. Dying to self, right? But a slower drip, drip, rather than a big splash. Which is to say that I do think there is something sacrificial and martyr-like in giving small gifts of love to each other. Love is a sacrifice. And expenditure. The way of Jesus is a way of self-expenditure. Henry Nouwen said, We come to learn that our greatest fulfillment in life is learning like God to be given away for other people. Look at what he says. He says, What a wonderful mystery this is. Our greatest fulfillment lies in giving of ourselves to others. Not what we get, but what we give. He says, although it often seems that people give only to receive, I believe that beyond all of our desires to be appreciated, rewarded, and even acknowledged, there lies a simple but pure desire to give. We often live as if our happiness depended on having. But I don't know anyone who's really happy because of what he or she has. True joy, happiness, and inner peace come from the giving of ourselves to others. Isn't that true? A happy life is a life for others. That truth, however, he says, is usually discovered when we are confronted with our brokenness. That's the tie from last week. The unfathomable mystery of God, he says in Scripture, is that God is a lover who wants to be loved. That the one who created us is waiting for our response to the love that gave us our very being. The love who calls us to be his beloved is the same God who says to us, Do you love me? If so, imitate me. We are chosen, guys, so that we can be blessed in this life. And we are blessed so that at times, even though we don't like to hear it, we can be broken. But we are broken so that ultimately we can be given. And through that brokenness, we can reflect God's incredible, unimaginable love to everyone who's around us. When we live our lives in this way, we are imitating our Heavenly Father, loving every single person He puts across our path, just like He does. Through that, we come to experience our true identity. Not in what we do, Not in what we have, not in what other people say about us. But by looking in the world around us in every single situation just like Christ. That is why at Grace we value so much loving our neighbors. 
We are passionate at grace about fully devoting ourselves to loving God and by expressing that through how we love our neighbor. Loving them so that they can come to grasp over time how wide, how long, how high, and how deep the love of God truly is, as Michelle read to us just a little while ago. As I wrap up this morning, I want to share with you just one more thing. And I want to ask you to please listen carefully to these words as you will actually hear the voice of Henry Nowen speaking. And I want to ask you to listen carefully to what he might be asking, what God might be asking of you today. Look at this. I might as well say that from the very beginning. You, we are the beloved sons and daughters of God. And one of the enormous spiritual tasks we have is to claim that and to live a life based on that knowledge. And that's not very easy. In fact, most of us fail constantly to claim the truth of who we are. World's greatest grandpa. Yeah. There he is. The question for you and for me is, who are we? Drink out of it every morning. Because that's the question that keeps us going. Because all during our lives, we try to answer that question. Who am I? have a reasonable life in God's sight. I know I fall short sometimes, but then that's, that's it. But. And the first answer we live with is, I am what I do. That's very real, you know, when I do good things and when I have a little success in life, I feel good about myself. But when I fail, then I start getting a little low or depressed. member dies or if my health goes then I can slip into inner darkness and the great struggle and it's not easy I'm not talking about something easy is to claim that first love and how to live that how to left to live the truth that in this world love and wounds are never separate and every other love will be partial will be real but limited 
will be painful. And if we are willing to let the pain not make us bitter, prune us, and give us a deeper sense of our belovedness, then we can be free as Jesus. I walk on this world and proclaim God's first love wherever we go. You will love your pain and you will live your anguish and you will live your successes and you will live your failures as the one who knows who you are. You will still have rejections and you will still have praise and you will still have losses but you live in no longer as a person searching for his or her identity but you will live it as the beloved Lord, help us not to just know in our heads, but at some point in our lives, every single one of us, understand deep in our souls, in our gut, who we truly are. If we have to be reminded a million times in this life that we are not what we do or who, what we have or what other people say. But our only identity that matters, our only identity is in who you say we are. Lord, then we won't have to live out of our pain and suffering all the time. But we can live out of joy and peace. And we can truly love as you love us. Lord, for each one of us, this is such a hard thing to do. And it just starts by truly understanding what it means to be your beloved. Lord, I ask, I plead with you that if we don't, for those of us in the room that don't have that understanding yet, that we will get it at some point soon. Lord, I know I still struggle with it at times. There are times that I want to pick up another one of those identities that I, I want to polish it off. I want to try it back on. And I only disappoint myself and fail. And you remind me over and over again, I didn't ask you to pick that one up. Just the one that says, you are my beloved. May we claim that today as we leave. May we know it. And may we live it. May we have the confidence, Lord, as we run into people that we love and people who we know love us. And even the people that we come into contact with who we know hate our guts. That we can love them unconditionally because we are the beloved. No other reason. If you're here today and you've never said yes to the one who created you and loves you this intensely. I want to plead with you today. To let your pride go. Let your fears go. Let your doubts go. And just simply trust. Trust the one who loves you way more than you will ever understand on this side of heaven. But one day it will make sense. Trust it and surrender to him today.
If that's you today, I want to encourage you to pray this with me. Heavenly Father, I come to you today and I surrender. I surrender myself and every identity that I have hauled around with me all these years. Lord, I don't know why I'm doing this, but I'm just giving them all to you right now. And I'm only picking one up. Lord, help me to wear that identity well. Help me to know how to live into it well as I love others around me. Help me to trust even in moments of doubt. Lord, I ask that you would fill me with your spirit and begin that work of transformation in my heart today. In Jesus' name, amen.